Find Your Feet with the Find Your Feet podcast. So today we switch things up a little bit and I sit down and interview Honey and I just want to say straight up that podcasting is much harder than I thought it would be. Sitting down and knowing that you're being recorded and chatting to someone is so much more difficult than I had anticipated and I now have a much deeper respect for anyone who attempts podcasting. So I know that most of you will be aware of Hanny and her athletic achievements or maybe you've been in store to find your feet or gone on a gone running tour or maybe you've used one of her free training planners for Ultra Trail Australia or a few other events. So today we have a chat about turning 30 and what this meant for her, the Find Your Feet store and you know where this is going, what this means and then we discuss trail running and we talk about everything from nutrition, hydration to training, using the training planners and all the way through to racing. So I really hope that you enjoy this conversation. podcast number five yikes that many already <laughs> how have you found them oh man um it's been a steep learning curve i think a couple of days before we launched the podcast i i had a mini meltdown in the kitchen i just you know it's hard because it's not something that comes naturally to me but i knew it was something that i really wanted to contribute into society because we just had like way too many extraordinary people coming in to find your feet and I just kind of felt that their their stories were worthy of sharing the, the purpose, the intent that they lived their lives with was something that we could all learn from. So, you know, we've just been tapping people on the shoulder and, um, you know, and, and I'm amazed at the support that we've had. You know, it's just been, it's been wicked. It's been so fun. Yeah. How have you found, like, the people so far that we've had have sort of been away from the trail running, what people may think of when they think find your feet, is that purposeful that you're picking not all athletes and trail runners, but people that everyday people doing great things that are also athletic? Well, that's a good question. I like. I think for me, um, as people get to know me, they realise that, like I guess, there's a couple of sides to me as a person, and I think there's definitely a conscious. Um, this is something that I think the world needs to hear and trail runners are part of our world and, and definitely also need to hear that message. But then there's also this kind of subconscious, like I'm a lifelong learner. If there's one word that describes me, it's curious. And um, I'm at a place in my life where I don't want to take take things for granted. Like I don't, I don't want to assume that I can just go down to the local store and buy my fruit and veg, you know, I don't want to assume that when I go out on a trail, it's just there, the the environment's just there for me. Like, so by doing the podcast and, and selecting people from a wide range of worlds and with really important messages to share, like, I guess, like I'm selfishly learning and selfishly satisfying that curiosity that lives inside me all the time. Yeah. Which is a goal of find your feet. You don't want to just be catering for one specific audience. And the podcast is going to help grow. Yeah, definitely. I mean, 
I love trail running. Like, I love anything that is outdoors in nature. Um, I can't sit still for longer than about five minutes. So, you know, for me, it's going to be really important that Find Your Feet will always service the trail running community because I guess it's 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 a huge part of us, Graham and I, and then our staff as well. But but there's so much more to life than that, and I I get frustrated when I see people like confining themselves to this like competitive world and defining themselves by how many races they enter or how quickly they do this or did they survive the 100k at wherever and so I I really want to show people that there is other ways of life to get that satisfaction from being outdoors and by doing so opening up our audience to others you know and if, if anything, like when I'm at work and I'm working on the retail floor, the people that I love helping the most are actually people who are out hiking or new to things or off traveling and they're excited when it's the first time they've done it. You know, like it's, you know, older people when you're fitting them with shoes so that you know that they can keep doing what they've always loved doing. Like, yeah, I just, I just want to help everyone. Whoops. <laughs> and I know that's not a good business model, but I just, I want to help everyone. <laughs> Simple. <laughs> good lead into there was a blog recently put up about you turning 30 mm. <laughs> do you think <clears throat> yeah this sort of direction that find your feet is heading is because of the turning 30 and the crossroads that happen there? yeah I think crossroads happen for people at different parts in their lives like as in different ages and I mean I don't even think age in its numerical formula is actually is actually representative of how old you are in your maturity as a person and the life experiences you've had. <laughs> and um, But turning 30, yeah, look, I think it has changed so much about me because I think before then I defined myself by what people thought of me and I think it has always limited my, my ability as a person to... I guess make the most of my life and the opportunities that I've been given because I always was worried about, yeah, what, what someone would think of me when I entered that race or what would happen if I didn't win or what would happen if I dropped out of medical school halfway through like I did or um, what do the kids think of me as their teacher when I was teaching. I think turning 30 I got to this place where I realised that it's my life, you know, and I I really had to take a big step back and think about what do I actually want? What are my values? Are they values that I value or are they values that I've carried forward from my past life? And um, it was pretty scary to do that and take that big, long internal look at yourself. Um, but I think kind of like when you – I hate calling Find Your Feet a business because I don't see it like that. I really see it as a service to a community. But when you're in business, you do need to have quite clear purpose and quite clear intentions. And if you're fuzzy in your own intentions, you know, you're never going to be driving a straight line for your staff and your audience that you're trying to serve in your community, you're trying to serve. And maybe that's true in any world, but I, I also look back and I think that I limited myself as an athlete because I didn't know who I was as a person. Um, and I, whilst I don't know if I still want to be an athlete, uh, I know that having these much clearer idea of who I am as a person is would only help my performances if I was to go back and race. So you're thinking about it? You, <laughs> do you consider yourself an elite athlete still? Uh, yeah, hard question. Um, I don't think I ever 
I actually ever really saw myself as an elite athlete. It's it's a tag that gets given to you by media and by um, influential people in your life for sure. But I think underneath that, I've always craved being seen as Hanny, you know, just as a person, as someone who loves sport and can stand on a start line for the same reasons that everyone else stands there, that they want to challenge themselves they want to see this beautiful landscape. They, you know, they're there for a personal reason. And um, so the elite athlete tag is something that's probably been one of my biggest frustrations. Um, but in answering your question, I I know I have unfinished business and I know that at the age of 31 for a female in endurance sports, it could be the time of my life as an athlete if I really wanted to take it there. And I guess it comes back to your values, you know, and I think it's for everyone, you know, you need to be driven by values and you need to really understand your intentions and I think you need to live with some degree of intuition as well. And my intuition is telling me that I've been trying to be on the pointy end of sport for nearly 20 years and I feel that there are other things that I want to achieve in my life um, and I also am really strongly driven by this need to contribute to society and I just wonder if that phase is now starting, to be honest. So I'm unclear. I haven't decided. If it feels right, I'll do it. If it doesn't feel right, I don't think it's for me anymore. The tag of the elite athlete, does that make you feel pressured? Like I know if I line up for a race, I'm going to be at the back of the pack and I'm <clears throat> expecting that and just want to have a fun day. If you're at the front, yeah. people are expecting you to do well and if you know you have a bad day or something goes wrong, how do you deal with that? It, yeah, it's, it's, it's another really good question because I'm a huge part of my work is consulting still. I consult with so many individuals who I call athletes and a lot of the time they say things like oh you know I just I just get I get so scared I'm not going to make it or I get so scared about this or I'm feeling really anxious and it's two weeks out from race day I, I don't don't I don't think you'd probably really quite understand and I'm just sitting there going buddy I understand like just because you're called an elite athlete doesn't mean that you don't feel all those pressures if anything you're so in tune with your body that you almost sense them to a heightened level. And um, I, I really find that there's two forms of pressure for me, equal, equal in balance. There's the internal pressure that I put on myself to be the best that I can be on race day and to have that, hopefully, that flow state run, which is what my greatest endeavour is always, to feel like I'm in a flow state so so yeah that's the internal pressure but then the external pressure is that standing on a start line and people you know pushing you to the front going or oh, you, you know you're going to be way faster than me or the media or the commentators or even like when you're starting out and maybe it's normally the boys like oh are you gonna win are you gonna win and it's like I'm not thinking about that you know so I guess what I've learned about pressure is it's just a noise it's like a radio and you're never going to turn it off and if you try to turn it off uh, you you know you'll fight it and it'll become louder <laughs> so it's like you just got to recognize the radio's on and I'm just going to focus on what I'm doing and I find that's the easiest way to kind of keep things quiet and 
I call that my bubble state. <laughs> so like I just imagine there's this big bubble around me and um, I can only burst that when, you know, when I choose to. And for me, my bubble will normally only burst when, um, when I feel love, believe it or not. So, for instance, if I see my fiancé, Graham, out on the course that is that is my most vulnerable time <laughs> so it sounds really bizarre but um love always bursts my bubble does he crew for you <laughs> yeah he does how, <laughs> how does that go yeah I just I guess I'm learning I'm just learning that's a risk point for me and um I'm learning to be able to choose how much of that emotion I want to let into my bubble sometimes you can if you're aware of it, you can use it in a positive way. You know, it can fill your heart with joy and you can spring off down the next phase of the course. But if you're in a world of pain at that point or you're suffering, which has happened a lot, um, then, you know, then it, like we're both learning that that's when he needs to kind of not not act in love but act with a more like tough guy, <laughs> like just deal with it, pussy. <laughs> and he reads you now and knows and which me. one you need. Yeah, and um yeah, and that I think, you know, and in some ways that's probably representative of our entire relationship now. That, you know, we're learning to read one another and and the needs and and I think that's really important in a partnership where we're partners in life, we're partners in business and then we're partners in our friendship, like our play. Yeah, so <laughs> the internal pressure you were talking about that you place on yourself, how how much of that do you think pushes you to be such an amazing athlete? Is it natural talent and then you train well and that's what gets you up or is it that you just have this motivation to push yourself until you are the best? Yeah. Um I think the internal pressure to be honest stems from quite a few different sources I think as a really young kid I I was I was quite competitive with myself to some degree like I if I drew a picture I wouldn't just scribble like I'd sit there and I'd try and draw a picture no matter if it didn't look like it (laughs) um if I played with my friends, you know, I, I would want to climb as far up the tree as I could. I wasn't happy to sit on the first branch of the tree. Um, but then there was also like a pressure which I think came from parental expectation. And then I was also brought up through private school setting where winning is everything. In, in And it, well, it was when I went through school and um, you were praised for being good at things you know by a badge on your blazer or whatever it was and then through all that time I was also like a competitive athlete from about the age of seven you know I started swimming squad training so that also that environment is very like highly pressured and it it became intensely pressured when I was about 11 to 13 a quite vulnerable age where it was also about body image and um, volumes of training and um, the goals of becoming Olympians and like it, it was a really intense period in my life so I think I've kind of I learnt pressure if that makes sense and I was I think if you don't thrive in it you you kind of die under it as in you wouldn't last in in that squad environment or you wouldn't thrive through school but I was probably lucky that I had the relatively resilient nature and I I kind of thrived um but I also think pressure 
pressure changed for me um, at a point in my life when um, my my family went through like a pretty horrific time with a lot of mental um, mental health issues, which resulted in quite <coughs> horrendous injuries. Um, and a disintegrated family and the selling of our family home, which we'd had for like 20 years. And I think I used pressure as a way of keeping me strong and resilient to climb out of a big hole that I saw myself in and um, and strive towards what was winning in sport and winning on the world stage in orienteering by that point. So I think kind of when you've had... 12 years of living with various pressures it's only natural that it's hard to kind of dissociate from it as you get older and I think part of this point of turning 30 and doing some internal investigation is learning about what's a what's a healthy internal pressure and what's not because I think they're different. (laughs) How do you help athletes that you're coaching or people you're talking to with the pressure you've had so much experience with it do you find it hard to try and help others deal with it if they haven't had that exposure or is that set you up in a really really good spot to help them I think um I think when you've when you've lived under that much pressure and that and to be honest that those (laughs) tongue-tied when you've yeah lived under that much pressure and you've had that many experiences that have been quite challenging um you develop a, a really a heightened sense of empathy uh, and a heightened sense of not understanding because I never claim to understand other people's lives, but awareness, I guess, of what they're going through. So I find like when I'm working with people, I it's like I can hear them, like I can read them. And a lot of people say that about me is that sometimes they almost open up too much to me, <laughs> but I think it's just because I like, I get it. And, um, but what I'm, what I really fear about pressure the most is when people use it to, um, to push themselves, you know, as in something hard's happened in their life or I'm a type A personality and I'm a perfectionist, therefore I have to succeed. I have to do this race. I I have to complete every single training plan that you set me and it, they stop listening to their intuition and to their bodies and what their, what their bodies, their soul, their mind, their emotions are telling them. That's when I see pressure being dangerous. I don't think pressure in isolation is a bad thing, um, but it's what you do with the pressure that is can be detrimental. Um, so yeah, I just kind of find like for people, it's about empathizing with them. It's about hearing them and listening to them and then questioning, you know, well, why, why do you do that? Why are you entering that race? What are you doing? (laughs) Um, does that make sense? Mm. Does that answer that question? Yes, definitely. Yeah, cool. I think (laughs) UTA coming up in the next few months and gone nuts on this weekend, there's in the store, we've seen a lot of people come in and they just look frazzled and they're freaking out and they just want to be told what to do, basically. And I think the pressure yeah. is very relevant. Yeah, because so you're talking about athletes who are entering these these huge races, 100-kilometre 100, 100 races, often in the mountain terrains, and they they don't have an entry qualification. So literally, like any Joe Bloggs could get off the couch and go and run them. I mean, that in itself, like, obviously that's pressure, you know, and um, it's expectation. I guess... 
what I've learned to do is I, first of all, I don't enter anything unless it makes my toes tingle. And that's the, the wording that, and the phrase that I always use with people. I think that's, that's an easy concept to grasp. Like if it excites you, if it is, if you can see an element of personal challenge, but also fun in that challenge or um, enjoyment in that challenge, then it's a great thing. And don't get me wrong, like even when you enter or embark on an adventure that has that flavour, two weeks out, one week out, and I can vouch for it from recent experiences, there will always become like a heightened sense of anxiety. It's just by nature. Like, I, you know, <laughs> heading out into the mountains for 100 kilometres is never going to be easy and it's going to involve some pain. So And tapering. And tapering <laughs> and, and making sure that you get all those little elements right. Like... It's like baking a cake for the first time. Like you've got to get all the elements right, and even when you put it in the oven, you're probably still going to be worried about it, and <laughs> you're going to be checking that oven a lot. And that's what it's like to to be in those last couple of weeks before a competition, especially the last week. Um, but then I think you kind of in that point you need to remind yourself like, why am I doing it? You know, and and at the end of the day, if I break it down to basics, what do I have to do? I have to put one foot in front of the other for 100 kilometers, which will probably take me anywhere between, I don't know, for most people, 10 and 22 hours. You know, when you think of it like that, it's it's so much easier. So, okay, so what do I have to do for that? I just need to eat. I need to stay calm. I need to enjoy the view. I need to make some friends. And I just kind of pretty much need to get to the finish line. And I've got to be nice to my support group, <laughs> so which is really important. And then I think kind of when you get your head around those nuts and bolts and you're like, you know what, this is doable. I think this is doable. Um, but, yeah, the other, the flip side is when people enter these races because Joe Bloggs told me to do it or because I I feel like I have no confidence and this is gonna this is going to help me be confident. It's going to be the excuse that's going to get me off the couch to train and lose weight you know, or to, to train because I want to be healthy and I, I can't find the motivation in any other way. And, and then they're the unhealthy reasons for entering races and, or embarking on adventures. And maybe you can make them healthy, but that's much harder. That is so much harder. So I think, kind of think at the outset, like if you're not going to enjoy it, don't do it. <laughs> like there's no point. There are so many other cool things you could be doing that are probably going to be way more satisfying and way more, like sort of um, doable on a long-term basis into the future. Yeah. Whoops, that was my rant. <laughs> no, it, it is my pet hate. A, a good lead into. do you think people are not so much racing too much, but they're entering races and the training is for the race rather than enjoying being outside and building and, you know, just going, okay, well, you know, in two months' time I'm going to achieve this goal that I've wanted. It's not a race. It's just a personal achievement that I want to tick off. Yeah. Do you think that's kind of with all the races that are available, that's starting to fade away, the personal? Absolutely. Um, And I guess I speak from so much experience in this world now is, you know, as someone who's been in, in sport since they were 10 and hadn't really done the internal work like everything that I was ever I ever did towards sport was physical prepare your body physically to perform you know and the mental got really left behind so when I answer that question um I guess I'm sitting here reflecting on a fact that 
if you there are there are a few people in the world very few who that will work for them you know they 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 can flip from one race to the next and by doing that process get stronger and stronger and stronger and then ultimately have the performance of their lives but most people aren't able to um to know what intensity to race at as they go through each of the races they're not then they don't have the knowledge to make sure that the things that they're doing out there such as their nutrition or their gear or their mindset isn't going to dig them a massive deep hole after each race and it's going to be really hard to recover and then they go out for the next one and they break so there are a handful of people that yeah can go that way most people in my experience and myself included um limit their potential by taking that attitude and I think that attitude to be honest comes from not understanding your sense of self as in and I'm sure other people will empathize with what I say now is that that for a lot of us um, if we haven't done the internal work and we, we're not really sure of who we are it feels like you live with a bit of a hole <laughs> It's, it's like there's a void in you somewhere. It's like you, you don't quite feel complete. Like you kind of know who you are, but you're not 100% sure. Or, you know, you there's just this little piece of confidence that's missing. <laughs> then I think you, you embark on these races to become to try and fill that hole it's it's and it does it does momentarily you know maybe a week maybe two maybe it might only last a day but you're just like man I I just feel on top of the world (laughs) but then really quickly once you go out of that phase there's often this this void again and you sort of are seeking something else to kind of fill that space and another race you sign up pops up (laughs) and off you go again and the I guess it's not a problem if you're happy kind of being a bit of a hack because I honestly believe that's what you do become because that's what happened for me. You know, you never quite prepare. So you stand on the start line and you're never quite confident (laughs) and everything's felt a bit rushed and then you do that race and you might get away with it. But yeah, (laughs) like it just becomes this sort of like cycle of not, I'm not quite satisfied. I'm not quite satisfied. I'm not quite satisfied. Whereas when you race less, but with great intention, like this is what I want to get out of this, this is really making my toes tingle, then you prepare for it properly and you have great joy doing it because you're not rushing, you know, and you you sort of savor all the mini steps along the way. And then when you perform, you just feel so much more confident, so much more resilient and you generally have a great day out (laughs) and even if you don't you're not it doesn't hurt you as much somehow like because it was the journey that you really enjoyed not the result at the end the result becomes a mere formality (laughs) even if it's not the result you're hoping for I I think that makes sense doesn't it yeah I asked that because recently you did the south coast (laughs) <laughs> and that's, you know, massive undertaking, huge, like, you know, the training beforehand, building up to it, setting it, preparing it, doing it. And then, you know, you both come in, finish, and there's just me in a tent studying. <laughs> no one clapping, no one cheering, like, not the finish line of Best a race. support crew ever, yeah. <laughs> but doing that made your toes tingle. 
Yeah, totally. Um, so the South Coast track is, it's a, well, we didn't really know how far it was. There wasn't actually anything specific out there. We thought it was about 80 to 85 kilometres. Um, turns out it was 93 kilometres and it's a track that goes along a really rugged section of coastline along the southern and southwestern tip of Tasmania. And uh, so it's a hiking trail. So it's, you know, it's well-formed to some degree you but are missing out all the horror stories of walkers coming yeah. in saying you're in mud and there's tree roots and yeah. rocks and it's, it's it, there's epic mud yeah and there was a swim which I got nude and swam across and there was you know like it, it, it definitely was um a mental challenge not really knowing what to expect and it also turned out there was a hell of a lot more climb 6,000 meters climb that we didn't expect so yeah as you can hear we were totally prepared for this but um it was something that had always made my toes tingle. Like, I think knowing that it was there, but also for me, like, a lot of people think I'm a really confident person, but, you know, like, I'm, I don't come from the world of trail running particularly. Like, my background has always been 50-metre sprint freestyler um, at a very high national level and then orienteering where my main title that I won was in a sprint in a three-kilometre race. Um, the longest race I did when I won, say, Junior Worlds was 90 minutes. So for me to kind of go out and embark on a 93-kilometre mission where there is no support, you know, once you are in, you are in. Like, you have to get to the other end. And I was having a few, you know, like, anxious nightmares, you know, the week before thinking, holy moly, we're going to be in a cave on a mountain with a bivvy bag, (laughs) like, cold, hungry. Um, You know, but... But it made my toes tingle, you know, and that was why we did it. And, I, like, I've never done anything so satisfying, like, so rewarding, so so awesome and so appropriate to cross a finish line on a random airstrip in the middle of nowhere with a friend, you know, and, and a partner just sitting there waiting for you with a cup of hot noodles. Like, it, it, was, it was awesome. Yeah, I... I guess that's kind of what drives me with Find Your Feet and with everything that I do and with the education I put out is, yeah, by all means, let it help you race. But gosh, let it, I hope, help you adventure, be a bit wilder. You know, question what's over the hill, where can it take you? Because um, it, it's so rewarding. Like, yeah. I think anyone that's seen your training plans will have noticed that. There's you know, the mission weeks and they always say, like, get out of your comfort zone go somewhere trial something and you seem to be pushing that in your training rather than you know go for a four-hour run the same run you do every week but just go longer or yeah and I I I mean I I was walloped as an athlete when I when there were when there were the times when I was coaching even when I coached myself I was walloped you know I was I was I pushed and I pushed and I pushed and then I have a setback and an injury and then I push and I push and I never learn (laughs) um and isn't insanity what Einstein said insanity is like doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result um so when I see when I started working my my coaching really really blossomed when I started coaching the North Face 100 which is now the UTA 100 which is a hundred that 100k race blue mountains no entry requirements Joe Bloggs can get off the couch and he can go and run 100k if he wants to and I was getting I was I was finding that the people that would come to me for coaching 
were often the ones who felt the least prepared. Duh, it sounds pretty straightforward. But that meant they were people, say, maybe in March, who would come to me and be like, look, um, so I want to do this race and it's in a couple of months' time and it's 100 kilometres and I'm like, do you run? Uh, oh, yeah, I, f- I feel fit. I'm like, great, cool. How do you keep fit? Oh, um, so I've done quite a bit of CrossFit and bodybuilding and I run about 5 or 10K a week on the treadmill. And you'd be like, holy moly, like <laughs> I have to get this this gentleman from CrossFit fit to 100 kilometer fit in like two or three or four months. Like, uh, or it might be someone who's run 10K and they want to do 100K. And if I was picking up magazines and, there were, and I was also thinking about my own training, my own history, and it's always a straight line. It's like you're here, you can run 10K, therefore we have to increase our kilometres every week by this March and your long run by this March and it's a straight line, rule. 10% rule, and bingo, you get to 100K. But, like, that's kind of not how the body works. You know, like, when we train, we damage our muscle tissues, we damage body tissues, which are all through our body, where there's sometimes no nerve supply, so you can't feel the damage. And then when you let it rest and recover, your body gets stronger because it heals and it heals stronger than before and that's the principle of physical preparation so it does not to me make sense to be trying to get to race day in a straight line and sure enough like we started doing some like questionnaires and surveys on people entering the race and on how many people enter and how many people actually get to the start line and there's this massive attrition rate and it happens three to six weeks out without failure that's that's the critical crunch time in preparation and that's when the social media posts start i'm selling my i'm selling my ticket any any takers yeah any race any race you'll see that and marathons are a classic for it as well you know look in a runner's world magazine and so-called coach Hoosie has written a training plan and it's every week, straight line, the volume goes up. Maybe there's one rest week, maybe two. But in a six-month preparation, one or two rest weeks is never enough. The other thing that irked me about this mentality was not just the injuries because, too, with an adult, if, if an adult who has never really done a lot of this before has a significant injury, let's say Achilles, classic, Achilles ITB, classic, they might go, which is the most common mentality, oh, I get injured when I run, I'm not a runner, I can't do this. And they give up. You know, and it's it's such a waste because it's it's not that they can't run. We all know we can run, we ran as kids. So it's just how they were trying to run. So that really bothered me because it didn't then just affect them their physical, it also affected their mental and then the mental affects their emotional state. So I started going, right, busy adults, often parents, how do I, how can I get them there safely? And what I saw was that some, most people are happy to be dealt a card that says, right, you work really hard for a week or two and then you get to chill out and you get a reward. You know, that's when you can catch back up in life. I think most people were happy to do that. It's like when you do... It, but they're not happy when you deal them a card and it's like, right, you work really, really hard for six months and then you can have a chill out. 
like most people are freak you know if you if you were to explain it to them like that they'd be like well man i'd take the first one because i find that when people are rested and that's not just physically but it's also emotionally they're so much more willing to push and they can they can train hard they can play hard they can then rest hard in a week off and then at the end of it yeah a mission and I guess I didn't want to write or say to people long run because that just sounds like work but when you embark on these adventures like 100ks in the blue mountains it is a mission you you don't know what the weather's going to throw you don't know what the course is going to be like you don't know how you're going to be feeling at 70k you don't know which person you're going to run with it is a mission you know and um I also wanted people to not then go oh long run yeah I'll run to uh I'll run to town x and back like I always do because that's my long run course I wanted people to be like a mission hmm that's cool like where can I go (laughs) and how can I do it and um I just find like it works because the final thing on this is that if you're tired because you've been a mum and a dad and you've been at work and you've like been paying the bills and you know like you've lived this hugely busy life and then on Friday night you have to start thinking about packing your gear to go out on a mission on the weekend like a that's not enjoyable we all know what that feels like and B, you get out there, your body's stressed and tired. So maybe your tummy's misbehaving or maybe your legs feel heavy. Well, then how on earth do you know what's gone wrong? Is it you're overtrained? Is it, well, maybe I didn't have the right thing to eat yesterday. Maybe my nutrition I'm using out here isn't working for me. Like, maybe it's stress talking to me. (laughs) Like, maybe it's the fact I've been on my feet for a week. Like, you don't know. Like, you you can't read that sign. And the most important thing about being an athlete is about reading your body and reading and learning and then doing something about it (laughs) because otherwise you're insane. You're doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. So to me, the mission by recovering before it that's just so critical to give you the accurate picture that you want from the mission because missions they're not about fitness they're about confidence the confidence that you know what you're doing when you stand on the star line on race day or on your own adventure how did you go with people that you know for however long have been doing that straight line training and they're like you know i don't rest i have to build every week to get to where i need to be and then suddenly you're going, no, no, every two to three weeks you need, you to, need to chill chill it and then build it and then yeah, chill it. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it was the hardest thing I had to learn as a coach. Um, and I'm not a coach. I don't know why, why I say that. It was the hardest thing I had to learn as a mentor for people because um, what I have found is that, and I'm, I'm probably speaking more about adults here, kids know how to go hard and go easy, but adults generally go, huh, I've got an hour, I've got a window of opportunity, quick, you know, out the door and I've got to go as hard as I can and make the most of my hour. And if you do that kind of like every day, you, you carry like a fatigue from the day before. So it might not mean you're always running hard, but, you know, you go hard in the gym, hard in the pool, hard as a run, you know, and you keep doing it. And what happens is nothing's ever really hard that you get the improvement and nothing is ever really easy 
where you actually allow your body to recover. So you end up in the plod zone in the middle. And then you wonder why on race day you feel like you're plodding. <laughs> or you've done all this training, but you still don't really feel very good. Um, or you're just not really enjoying it. Um, and, yeah, so what I say to adults is if it's about wanting to train hard to get improvement, well, the improvement's going to come when you go hard. To go really hard, like I'm talking about, you need to go easy and if you draw a little graph of that you can show that you'll still expend the same amount of energy <laughs> because that's the other brain and and that's often a, to be honest a bit of a female brain is I'm doing this for weight control or feeling good about myself and I don't feel good about myself when I go easy well I can easily prove that you will expend more energy in my way because you're going to have times where you are pushing hard and long um so it, it's literally about getting your head around that, like, I'll go harder, but I go easier, and I end up with the same result. Or I could plod. I guess it's your two choices. <laughs> How long have you been using this, like, wave? Uh, so I started really, like, developing my own wave formula um, probably back in about 2009, really really started working with it more in about 2011 it didn't come from a book because so much of the coaching science out there has been done on elite athletes and I've worked in the elite athlete environment in the AIS and I know how warped it is compared to normal life like it's a bubble you know like everything's done for the athletes like I'm not being fair to them they work their asses off don't get me wrong and they're in a high stress environment and they need help and support but compared to your average adult who's working, who has kids, who cooks their food, who does everything for them and pays their bills to go and see a psych or a physiotherapist. Like, it is so, so different. So you can't take that science and assume it's going to work on this busy working adult. So that was kind of when I really went, things have got to be different. They they really do. Um, I guess since then... And more recently with the development of our free training plans that we've been putting out into society, um, I've worked with thousands of athletes and I have had, I reckon I could count the number of stress-related overuse injuries, you know, on two hands out of thousands of athletes. I mean, of the ones that I know about and I'm I'm sure there's others out there, but where it's gone wrong, but it, it just works. Like it it's funny like there are very few things I've been sure about in my life as a, as a you know adult but this is one of them that I, like I'm so sure that this is the way to go so sure of it yeah so the pushing and the resting push hard rest hard play I say play hard rest hard yeah how important do you think having so obviously you've got your nutrition while you're training and mm. while you're racing because you're out there for a ridiculous amount of time and then just in everyday life, nutrition, like, do your plans go into that at all? Big time. <clears throat> I guess I see there being three things that get, yeah, in my experience, again, working with, with thousands of athletes, thinking about what's worked for me as an athlete over the years, there are three things that help you on race day. One is knowledge of the course. You need to know it, preferably see it with your own eyes. But just knowing what you're training for 
you know, so that you can adjust your training to suit that environment. That's, that's foundational. That's number one. Number two is about consistency. And that's where wave training comes in. Like it's not going to help you going out. Like I was getting athletes who were training for a hundred K who were doing three 20 K runs a week, period, nothing else, you know, because that was the time they had available they were far less successful. They had so many more injury risks than athletes who were doing 40 minutes a day cruising. You know, they were the ones that performed better on race day or who got to race day. So consistency in training and doing everything that you can to make sure that you have a consistent six-month build-up to a race. That's so important to me. But the third thing was a knowledge and then the ability to execute nutrition and hydration. Why? Because I believe that sports nutrition, when we're talking about it, when you're actually out exercising, is about fueling your brain to be able to allow your body to perform. Because the body, we all know it in endurance sports, it runs on fat predominantly. Um, but to be able to like access fat, it requires the nervous system. What drives the nervous system? The brain. What does the brain work on? Glucose. So fueling the brain will allow you to untap this huge potential. Now, I believe, like, we all know what it feels like to bonk and how you can be going from running, you know, let's say like five minute per K pace to suddenly you're walking at 11 minute per K pace. We all know what that feels like. And it's horrendous and you lose bucket loads of time. Yet on the flip side, we see athletes training their, excuse language, asses off to make five second, you know, improvements per kilometer in their time. Like their asses off. So I see nutrition as like, well, you can go and train your ass off, which you still need to do to some degree, or feed yourself when you're adventuring and there's this world of free energy now available to you because you keep yourself happy and healthy and in a 100k event or a long distance event we're talking about hours off your time if you get it right and to be honest having a brilliant time because you're alert you're happy you're vibrant you know you're full of vitality and I think for me that was the thing that changed the most on South Coast Track was I got it right for the first time ever. And I and I know Dale, who happens to be your husband, who I was running with, he got it right for the first time. And it was such an amazing experience. It was so positive. And like right to the bitter end, we were we were chatting and taking it in and taking happy snaps. If you're in a dark place, you're not going to be taking in anything and you're definitely not going to be pulling out your camera to take a photo. So it, it yeah, it's, Nutrition is almost, it probably should almost be number one. Do you think that's overlooked by a lot of people? They just think, it's all right, I'll just get to the race day and I'll just have some gels and drink some water, something yeah. about, I'll have some salt tablets. Yeah, well, that was always my way. Um, you know, I, I, if there's one regret I know I'm going to have in my life, it was that I didn't take this seriously when I needed to. When I was, um, when I went, before I, so I, I left orienteering pretty much. I went from swimming to orienteering and then I left orienteering and took up track running and marathon running. And um, I think I only ever remember having one gel 
ever in a marathon and I don't even think I finished it. And I was running, I was four minutes off qualifying for the Commonwealth Games and six minutes off an Olympic Games for the marathon and I was 20, you know. And I look now at what I know now and I think, God, hand, you know, like what could you have done if you'd fed yourself? Because without a doubt, the last 10K of a marathon always burnt me big time and I would drop from sub three minute per, sorry sub four minute k pace through to like five you know and that that's the difference that's your four minutes instantly there so you kind of have to wonder a little bit so I guess that's probably one reason why I have this love but then when I went into trail running I remember I spontaneously which is not normally like me decided to enter the 100k UTA so the North Face 100 in the Blue Mountains and the night before, we're walking around the supermarket going, oh, what should we eat? And we had chocolate bars. We had nuts. We had, what else did we have? Oh, I made some cookies about a week before. They were half stale. They were chocolate chip cookies. And I had some of them. Um, we were drinking water, uh, cordial as well in there. I mean, most people are probably saying, oh, that's what I use. But but seriously, like I learned, that is, that is not... <laughs> that is not the way to do it and sure enough um 50k in I, I bonked in a way I've never bonked before and I didn't finish and it was frustrating <laughs> um, and that was when I went you know what this is something I'm going to take seriously yeah so you've nailed that now you think after south coast or, or at least on the way to completely understanding your yeah nutrition? yeah definitely um but it's been about it's been about a four or five year journey and my biggest thing was trust you know trusting the advice that was given to me which was good advice and then not being a stubborn donkey out there and actually doing it and it was Graham my my fiance who he doesn't call himself a runner but it was him who taught me that it works because we go out on these adventures I would have been the one training again my ass off during the weeks he he, he doesn't train <laughs> sorry Graham but he, he plays like he's fit but he's not he's not fit fit oh he still goes oh we'll just go for a 40 or 50k run <laughs> or or 65 down the <laughs> overland track and he's sitting on my feet the whole way and I'm and here am I like having my little dark moment thinking I'm never going to make it and Graham's like isn't this beautiful can you run that again I'll just take some video of you and I'm like how is this possible like he's a freak yeah, I mean, like, he definitely has that talent. But he, when, when you watch him exercise, he's just continually letting the energy go in, you know, and, um, and the right things at the right time, and it works. And that was when I was like, you know what, I've got to learn. I've got to learn to do this for myself. And so, yeah, South Coast Track, I think, was a culmination of years and years of hard work and just sucking it up princess because there are a lot of people who say I don't like gels they're too sweet I don't like this I don't like that you don't enter a run to go on a picnic you know like you're not out there for the picnic you're out there for the challenge and the adventure and yeah I don't enjoy it but if it's going to help me do the job that I'm there to do then I will suck it up princess for that moment and when I finish that I'll eat my salad and my greens yeah definitely (laughs) so 
people shouldn't lose heart if they have a bad race with nutrition and then they're like, okay, Definitely my not. stomach is bad. I just, I can't do this. I'm yeah. not capable of going a further distance because I can't yeah. sort it out. It takes time. Definitely. Definitely. It takes practice and perseverance, but also trusting someone that you trust and steering clear of all that crappy marketing advice that's out there. Like I can almost vouch that probably about 90% of tummy upset, so vomiting and bloating issues and diarrhea is caused from fluids. Too much of the wrong fluid at the wrong time. Yeah, and if you can solve that equation, then I, I really do believe that you can you can perform and thrive and love it, definitely, yeah. And trial it leading up to the and race. And trial it <laughs> a lot. Yeah. You, you hear all the time, don't try anything new on race day. And then the amount of people you talk to before a race that are like, oh, I've got this new gel that I've just found or oh, I've bought some new shoes. Yeah. And- I think there's, there's, there's a truth in don't try anything new on race day. But when it comes to nutrition, if it clearly hasn't been working for you, clearly you've had bad experience after bad experience, then I am, I am not going to hold back on telling someone what to do. Because when you it is it is simple. It's it's glucose and it's salt, <laughs> and then the right amount of fluids. You know, um, so it, it's not a hard equation. It just needs some tweaking. And yeah, so if you're wondering what to do with nutrition, I mean, the podcast with Daryl is brilliant. Um, there are so many great resources. I've written bucket loads of blogs. I've done podcasts on it. Um, the information is out there. Uh, and, if, and if you're entering a race like UTA in three months' time, then practice now quickly. <laughs> yeah. Get on it. <laughs> That's the lesson I got. If you've continually had bad training, yeah. stop it. Try something yeah. different. But you know, Dale again on the South Coast track, he he'd had a horrendous time with nutrition. I mean, and it was getting to the point where we trained together, and he'd be he'd be so strong. He'd be stronger than me. But his confidence had gone when it came to a race or something really big. And I knew it was just a matter of of nursing him through the south coast and guiding him, you know, eat now, eat this, not that much, have more, you know, take the salt, do you know he ninety three K, twelve and a half hours, not one issue. Not one issue. And um, not even, like, weeks before, a few months before, yeah, he'd been struggling with yeah, his stomach. Yeah, big time. And for him, it was a trust thing. He'd known for a long while what, what to do. Um, maybe not exactly, but he'd, he'd known pretty much where he needed to be. But he just needed to find the person he could trust in. And I guess out in that environment, um, trust is really all you have when you're in a team. You know, you have to trust one another. And I had to lean on him for support in other ways. So... Yeah, it was definitely a team effort, but it really showed me that nutrition is everything. So switching gears a little bit, and from what we've been discussing, it seems like all you do is run, but that is (laughs) definitely not the case. You have Find Your Feet, the store, the mentoring, the gone running tours that go now all over the world throughout, and there's all the organising that. How do you balance everything? Yeah, it is tough, and I... I know when I have too many balls in the air, I get really quite anxious and um, frustrated. <laughs> to be honest, I it, it comes it's come back to taking a lot of time to do the internal work. Um, I I've been working with 
someone to help me understand and really prioritize my values because I think before I kind of knew they existed but I thought they were all equal which makes it really hard when you're deciding do you have dinner with your mum or do you go and prep for coaching the junior world team overseas or do you do your national parks and wildlife council report or you know like everything felt urgent so understanding my values is, has started to really allow me to kind of go, that's the most important thing at this moment in time. Prioritise. Prioritise. So, and having like, taking the pressure off being perfectionist about getting everything done in a day, but at the same time, I, I now am much better at organising my life. So having to-do lists, but then prioritising the to-do list so that it's not all carried around in my brain. Um I have to get up early, you know, I, I get up between 5 and 5.30 every day. Um, I try to start the day with a cup of tea and some journaling or some meditation. Um, I try not to kind of go straight to my phone and start thinking about work. I, I really try to think about selfishly me um, and what are my intentions for that day and for this week and download anything that's bubbled up in my brain overnight um, because I feel like that gives me a clear head. And then when I go out running, I'm either running with someone which is just joy, you know, joyous and it's a friendship or it's a partner, um, so love. Or I'm on my own and I really try to just be present in what I'm doing. You know, present in, what, in, in the morning sunrises and the mountain and the trail and or, you know, what's growing in people's gardens and that side. Or I'm trying to be really in tune with me. You know, what what am, you know what does my body want to do today? Where does my mind want to go today? Um, so I don't often go out with strict plans these days. I go out with, like, a bit of an idea of when I wouldn't get out of it. But if my, if my body is telling me otherwise, my brain, my emotions are telling me otherwise, then I'm a lot more flexible. Yeah, and then work is work is work. Work is like everything. You like you have your amazing days and you're filled with vitality, and then you have your tough days, and you got to ride through them. But one of the biggest things that I've learnt is um is the importance of communication. You know, being more vulnerable and and communicating without you know with emotion, but without emotion, as in like with thought and intention and clarity around things that are important to you because I realized like I bottled things and I was taking them out in my running you know but voicing plans and thoughts and ideas and fears and you know it's it it's just made life feel so much so much easier you know I feel like I have allies now in my life whereas before I think I walked around thinking I was a silo (laughs) like um so yeah it's a juggling act um I think the biggest thing so that helped me is sleep. You know, I'm a nana. Nana Hannah was my nickname as a coach <laughs> for the junior, junior orienteering team. Um, m- my friends, you, Dale, your husband, who I run with, have taught me so much about nutrition. Like, wow, you know, lifestyle nutrition. Um, I just, I had rules. I think they'd, they'd fostered from... Um, fear of nutrition, fear of eating, anorexic kind of behaviours when in my past life to, um, yeah, just things that weren't really helping me recover, weren't helping my mind, weren't helping my emotions, weren't helping my hormones. So to be honest, I have slowly, slowly, slowly started thinking about nutrition as a compassion and um, 
and nurturing my body. So I've gone plant-based basically um, to say it easily and I'm always going how can I add more nutrition to this meal you know rather than less which would always be my mindset. It sounds really simple and it's and I don't know why nutrition is really scary to talk about when it comes to life. I think lots of people find it really hard to yeah, say definitely. this is what I believe in nutrition. But the more we talk about it, it's like mental health. The more we talk about it, the better. Um, I honestly believe that plant-based is the way to go now. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, I've just seen such big changes in me and my body, my moods, my emotions, and then my performances. How's your recovery with it? Unbelievable. Like, unbelievable south coast track once upon a time would have i would have been out for eight weeks yeah yeah four to eight weeks before i'm back fully training it you know a week later and don't listen because you shouldn't be doing it but (laughs) a week later i'm i'm jumping out of my skin like i just i'm i feel incredible um so i honestly believe it's the way to go And yeah. there, there is that fear, like, you, you know, you, you talk to people that are, have these big race goals and it's all about, you know, oh, I shouldn't be eating that. Like, you know, the lighter I am, the faster I run, the easier it'll be. Yeah. And you just see these restrictions slowly over time in place yeah. on everyone. And I think it's something that everyone has at some point or other been guilty of. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, and I, it's, it's scary because... Trail running, when I very first knew it when I was 17, it was like <laughs> lots of old school guys with, you know, gear they'd made themselves and off we'd trundle down the overland track and Bob's your auntie, you know, eating chocolate bars. Whereas it, it's become so much more commercial in the sponsorships and the professionals now doing the sport and then at the back end, you know, the marketing and the media and... And with that comes, I think, the drawing of new blood into the sport, which is great, you know, coming from especially the athletics world and the distance road running world. But that that world has always been heavily influenced by body weight issues. And um, it, it was almost impossible, and I, I say this really, really honestly, it was almost impossible to be a healthy weight and be an elite road runner. Um, I, I did not know any of my competitors who could openly say that they didn't have some form of disordered eating and restriction. So I really hope that trail running and trail runners can see the importance of being healthy and full of vitality, first and foremost, strong in their physiques, because if you're not, you're not going <laughs> to... Be in for a rough day. Yeah, it's going to be hard. It, it, you might perform well and it might you might perform well for a period of time but it's not sustainable you know and when I think about who I idolize like and and would want to be as an athlete it it would be the the person that sat at the top you know and did their thing and stayed calm and was there a lot all the time and in orienteering you know my idol, Simone Nigli Luda, she won 34 world titles for Switzerland. How? She was healthy. You know, like, if you're not, you're not going to be there for that long. Yeah. So I think it's got to be more than just, and I, I hope the media hear this, that you're not a champion if you win once. You're a champion if you've been there for years and years with the right attitude. To me, that's a champion. Yeah. So, whoops. 
I probably diverged off topic. <laughs> no, no, it's really interesting. Like, you know, everyone has their tried, this is, you know, I eat like this, this is how I eat yeah. to perform. And then, you know, you've obviously coming from that world at quite a young age with the restricted yeah. eating issues and then going to something like this and talking about nutrition, like you're kind of the perfect person to ask well, either end. And I wrote, I came clean about this a little while ago with um, Ultra 168, which is a big trial running um, publication, online publication in Australia. And I, whilst there was a lot of support, I also did get slammed by people saying that I was still I was probably too chunky as a runner. And But it's it's not about what you look like. That's a silly thing. It's about how you feel and then how resilient and tough you are out there. You know, if you're going out to run Ultra Trail Australia, which is just epic stairs and epic downhills and epic uphills, you don't want to be featherweight. You need to be strong. You need to be tough. You need to be resilient. Like, you know, then if you turn your goals around and suddenly you're off to run the Melbourne Marathon, yeah, well, maybe it makes sense to be a bit leaner and meaner. And we're not just talking about elite athletes. Like, one of my pet hates is when adults say to me, oh, but I'm not an athlete. I'm like, well, if you're doing the training with intention to achieve that outcome, you in my eyes are an athlete. So you are also entitled, please, 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 please take yourself seriously. You know, please realize that you are entitled to health and vitality and good nutrition. You know, so um, what we're talking about today is not, is not just for the pointy end of the field. Definitely not. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's why I started Find Your Feet was to bring this kind of discussion and knowledge, hopefully, back to the the recreational end of the field. Yeah, because if you think about it, if it's not the pointy end, typically going to be out there longer, going to you know, they're just on their feet longer. So having exactly. that good nutrition, if anything, elite knowledge is more important for the recreational end of the field because your goals are enormous, you know, and I, and what you're asking your body do is so enormous. Like I, when I watch events, the, when tears and emotion come to me, it's when I see the people at the tail end of the field crossing the line who've been through so much to cross that line you know, that, like, goosebumps now, talking about it. Like, they're the champions. They're the role models. Like, we should all be, like, learning from them because, yeah, the to be honest, the elite athletes who get all the support, you know, it's a lot easier in some ways. You know, um, there's often less pressures in their life, to be honest, as well. So, um, yeah, I really take my hat off. And that that's where my love is working you know, with that end. I, I don't coach elite athletes. I have no desire to work with anyone in that world, to be honest. Yeah. Which I think anyone that's spoken to you or been into Find Your Feet and spoken to you or Graham <coughs> realises because you're just so happy to help anyone that comes in. It's like, I've signed up and I have a pack and I don't know what to do now. <laughs> I just love helping people, you know, and it, it's because it's so gratifying because where else, like, there's so much help out there for kids and there's so much help out there for athletes. What about that whole cluster in the middle? What do we do? Like, and for me, I've always been in fringe sports, you know, so I've, I've had to do things pretty tough. You know, I've self-funded everything that I've done 
um, and not just self-funded but self-coached and self-learned and made the mistakes and went, whoops, don't do that again, then do it again and then go, whoops, don't do that again. And I don't want – like if there's a way that I can – help people to not go down that line. And I'm not just talking about sports and goals, but I'm talking about in adventure, in life, in in any ambition you set yourself, then that that's kind of my mission is to help those people. Yeah. Who are athletes. I'll just say that. <laughs> or high achievers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We might end with a few questions that I know you've been asking your previous <laughs> podcasters. Sorry. <laughs> oh, shit. Turn it around. Back to bite me. Yeah. Biggest fear? Um, that I'm not doing enough. <laughs> that I'm not contributing enough. Like, I'd be lying if I didn't say, like, everywhere you look, there's need. You know, for me, there's a need to preserve my beautiful home state of Tasmania, there's a need to help people to be healthier and stronger, more resilient versions of themselves. There's a need to live with a smaller footprint, you know, in a world that's overpopulated and under-resourced now. Um, And the more I interview people, the more I realise there are other needs, like preserving bees and food security. And I guess it's my biggest fear that I'm not doing enough. Um... Yeah, I know it's being hard on myself, but but that that's my fear. Yeah, you are taking a lot of steps. Yeah, I am. I am, but we don't have much time, to be honest. If and and I'm not being super negative at this point, but I honestly believe there's not a lot of time to turn things around. So we need to to have everyone rise up and say, "Am I doing enough?" It doesn't need to be much, but some. Yeah, it'd be it'd be really good to see more people sort of questioning questioning as yeah, a start. I I call it an audit of your life. You know, I think you you can do them as frequently as you want, but audit your life. Are there things that you could be doing better? You know, for you, for others, for compassion, for the world, for the planet. Yeah, all of it. Yeah, it's kind of fun. <laughs> so leads into the second one if money and time were no object what would you be doing now um i was really inspired when i asked that question to my first ever guest paolo we'll call him um b b specialist no he's a nasa scientist working with food security issues around tracking insects and particularly bee pollinators and i asked him that question he said I wouldn't actually change anything. I'd do exactly what I'm doing now. And at the time I was like, I was so gobsmacked. I'm like, whoa, like, wow, how many people could you ask that question? And they'd, they'd say nothing, you know, I'd do what I'm doing now. And then, and then I walked away and I thought about my life and I went, actually, <laughs> I wouldn't be doing anything different either. I, I love what I do. Um, I just wish if I had a bit more time, I could help more people. And I could probably spend more time in wild places because it's where I reset. It's where I re-energize and I bring clarity back to my life. I think if I had more time, I, I need more of that. <laughs> yeah. 2017, what do, you, do you have any goals, intentions? What are you hoping to achieve this year? Um, in terms of just like 
a thing that I wanted to do. South Coast Track was it. So, like, it's kind of nice to know, like, that happened at the start of the year and I'm living in this contented little bubble <laughs> right at the moment. What do I want to do? Um, I actually want to consolidate. Like, for someone who loves growing, who loves challenge, who loves, yeah, learning and is very curious, um, that's quite a hard thing to do and to say, but I think it's really important for both myself and for Graham and for people in our lives like our staff to have a little bit of the pressure off and a, and a chance to, to consolidate and, and create a stronger foundation. Um, so that's in business, in our lives. Um, we don't even own a house. You know, in fact, we don't even really have a home <laughs> right at the moment. We're, we're in transit. We have a van. We've got a van. Um, and we, we took some massive massive scary risks especially financially to open the new store and to launch the podcast and so many things um and I I really like whilst I don't need a lot to live on like to wake up thinking about money is is not something I ever really want to do again I I will live as simply as I need to but I really want to um consolidate and make sure that find your feet can be something that can help people in generations to come not just be something that was once there and no longer survived <laughs> so yeah just um year of consolidation and so many adventures <laughs> like I, I want to play wilder <laughs> wilder and wilder and wilder and wilder yeah um and i just have one more question that's more of a personal one how do you become a morning person? How do you become a morning person? <laughs> I, re- I hear you say, I get up at five, I meditate, I do my gratitude. I'm like, oh, I set my alarm like seven <laughs> minutes before I need to leave. Um, you know why you want to become a morning person. Because if you, if you know what you want to get out of that morning, you're going to love it. You're going to love that time. It's, it is the quietest part of the day. Like, because it's still dark. there's there's no other point in the day that is like that even in the evening there's there's stuff going on around you you know on the roads and um in the morning there's there's this period of time before the sun rises where it's just so calm and still um I'm not really answering your question but I but I do believe if you know what your intention is in getting up early you won't resent it if that makes sense. Um, and then it's practice. <laughs> practice makes perfect. A good strong cup of tea will help. I don't drink coffee, but I'm sure that would that would do it. Yeah. Lovely. Well, thank you very much. Thanks. That was fun. <laughs> it's weird to be on the other side. <laughs> Which will happen again too, especially with UTA coming uh, up. Oh, uh, yeah. Look, if, if we can help, we will. Yeah. Okay. Thank Thanks. you.